I think about like similar to how like my parents talk about their traumas and how that is being transferred to me in like the context of war stories. Um, and so I think it's very important to understand. I think in order to help someone first, you really have to understand who you are. Welcome to Wellness in Color on the Mental Health in Minnesota podcast produced by NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Wellness in Color is a podcast series that explores perspectives on mental health to reshape the cultural language of mental illness. On this episode, you will hear your host, NAMI Minnesota staff member, Caroline Ludi, interviewing Vang Soar Xiang. Being a 1.5 generation immigrant, Soar, for short, is at a unique intersection that enables him to bridge both worlds in a unique way. With this vision, his dream is to push for an intentional movement of mental health acceptance within his community so that mental health check-ins become the norm within everyday conversation. Within his role as partnership organizer for the Minnesota-based Asian American Organizing Project, his plans include expanding on his current work to open up opportunity for voices from other marginalized communities, such as the Asian American and Pacific Island queer population. A note on sponsorship. Efforts related to Wellness in Color podcast episodes were supported by the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences of the National Institutes of Health Award Number UL1-TR002494. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the official views of the National Institutes of Health. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. Subscribe to the podcast and listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's your host, Caroline Ludi. So, Zor, you are also part of our Multicultural Advisory Board. Can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, um, so, you know, just some background information about me is that I, you know, being a 1.5 generation, that means that, I, you know, I was not born in the United States today. I was actually born in a refugee camp in Thailand. Um, and, you know, me and my family, we moved to the United States in 2006. Um, so it was really interesting experience to go from, you know, you know, living in a refugee camp to like this, you know, United States where there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and so that's a little bit about you know where I come from but in terms of like my experience around like mental health um, I didn't really knew a lot about mental health until the later half of my life and which is not that long <laughs> but I think uh, my first like experience seeing mental health was definitely with my mom um, you know she she definitely had like symptoms of like depressions and anxiety um, but you know, there there wasn't any language to talk about it. Um, my parents didn't talk about it, um, and so that was my earlier experience around like mental health um, and whatnot. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about where I, you know, a little bit about my background and uh, my first interaction with mental health. Um, but my first interaction with mental health within my own experience specifically was until the you know in like high school year. Um, I, I I feel like I always had like um, symptoms of depression but because mm-hmm. you know I never really talk about it um, I guess that th- the conversation around mental health was never talked to my family and so it's really hard to identify whether or not these are the norms or not um, but it wasn't really till I believe junior year of high school where you know I had an anxiety attack um, and you know, I had a really helpful uh, teacher. Um, she was my French teacher. She actually, you know, brought me down to, you know, our school clinic. Um, in the high school that I was in, 
we have a, a clinic within our school and within that clinic there's a psych department um, so I was really fortunate to have that you know a resource available at our high school where she brought me down there and I had like a two-hour session with um, the psychiatrist there um, and from there she was able to like pinpoint uh, give me information about like what was going on uh, give me a clarity around like the experience that I was having the emotions that I was having um, so that was my uh, you know myself and like my interaction with mental health and whatnot so like throughout this whole journey because you said that um, and originally you had moved here from Thailand mm -hmm. in 1996 so currently how old are you um, I'm currently 21 right now mm -hmm. um, I moved to the United States when I was about like eight or nine mm-hmm and so can you tell me a little bit more then about your experience back in the refugee camp in Thailand and then you know from there how your mental health journey kind of shaped yeah I think um, you know growing up in the refugee camp there um, you know it is you know a third world right that's the reality that, that it is um, and I definitely feel like that has a huge impact on um, my parents mental health and I believe that's also transferred to my mental health too right um, you know, growing up in the refugee camp, my parents always warned us about like being safe and being secure. Um, and the way that they did that was, you know, and the only way that they knew how was to tell stories of their experience, right? My parents are survivors of the secret war. And so, you know, they, they are survivors of that war. And so the only way that they like give us a lessons around like safety and security was through like war stories. Um, and I believe those were like their way of like addressing their own mental health without knowing. Um, and so, you know, growing up there, that those are the stories, the spaces that I remember. Um, and I believe those are, you know, those stories have also like transferred into like my mental health as well, right? Um, and then you know moving to the united states uh, i believe it's still very similar in terms of like the context of like being in a survival mode right um being someone that you know moves to a whole completely different country where you don't have the knowledge the language the access that most people that are born here have right uh, my parents you know we were sponsored by my uncle who you know was able to bring us to the united states um and so it was a really hard transition for me and my family and you talked about, you said that, you know, transitioning to the United States, we, for you, you didn't have the same context or experience that mm -hmm. native, maybe, um, born individuals have um, here. But really, like, what do you mean by that? Because when you experienced, you said that first um, bout of anxiety um, in your junior year of high school, how were you able to frame that? I think um, at the time, um, it, w it was really hard to understand what was going on, right? So. Uh, I don't know if you, any of y'all ever experienced uh, anxiety attack or whatnot, but to me, what it felt like was just this wave of like fear and emotions that I didn't know why it was happening, right? Um, I, I remember, you know, um, I was talking to my teacher because she noticed that my grades were dropping and generally, you know, in French class, I have a pretty solid grade, right? But, you know, towards the uh, later half of the year, she noticed that my grade went from like an A to like a, a C and D, right? And so there was a huge difference within like a semester change. Um, and so she was addressing to me about like her concern with my grades and whatnot. And that, I don't know what happened, but that triggered my like anxiety. Um, and I just remember this immense fear of like my environment and fear of like what was going on. Um, and I was, you know, it was real hard to 
understand why I was afraid because this wasn't the like the first conversation I had with a teacher about like you know getting supports and whatnot um, but that specific moment was so filled with fear that I you know I was essentially petrified I didn't know what to do and so um, she was you know really um, I was really glad that she was experienced and like um, you know, maybe I, don't, I actually don't know if she was experiencing mental health or not, but the way that she approached me and like led me down to the art nurses was uh, really helpful. And so, from that experience, how were you, were you able at all to tell your parents, or like how did that kind of draw out in terms of you telling them about you know your own anxiety? Yeah. Um, so from that experience, I you know was. Um, I was, uh, you know, after that, I started having sessions with our psychiatrists, um, and you know, we start unpacking what was going on with me, and really start unpacking like um, my experience. Right? Um, it was really hard to tell my parents because um, there was no way of telling. There's already a language barrier, right? The way that I was talking about my, my mental health in the psychiatrist was, you know, in a very Western way of talking, and it was really hard to like, how do you unpack? You know, Western ideas and words in a language that doesn't have a, a translation for those words and ideas. Um, how do you transfer the, the 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 you know the talk about mental health into like Hmong, where you know there isn't uh, you know language around like mental health? Um, and it, was, it took me a while to really figure out like how do I do that? How do I transfer this? thoughts and this idea of like wellness into my own culture that has a different set of like infrastructure, different set of language nuance. Um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out today. I think um, one of my biggest learning lessons is really understanding that, you know, where uh, looking at like the culture and what what kind of uh, support system that exists within the culture already and how do we, um, you know, utilize those support system, right? For example, in the Hmong community, there's, um, you know, this wellness uh, ceremony called soul calling. Um, what it does is that, you know, we will have like a shaman to come into like a household and like, you know, do a, a ritual or ceremony that like brings back the soul of the families, right? Um, and what it does is it's just essentially a way of like securing your soul to your body. Um, and so really, it was really interesting to look at that perspective, like, okay, that, that itself is a form of wellness, right? Essentially, if you look at it from, you know, for lack of a better word, like an A to B comparison, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the spiritualist, the shaman is essentially the psychiatrist, right? Where they're bringing in like, these language that the community understands and the idea of a soul is the idea of the wellness, right? Because in our community, um, we associate like, you know, the well-being of your soul is equivalent to the well-being of your overall experience, right? So for example, um, you know, in my, someone in my community could be like experiencing a lot of like illness and, you know, um, there was this one specific memory where my um, my dad was actually kind of ill um, and the shaman was like oh you know his soul is sad right so um, what ended up happening was we did a, a ceremony to like you know honor the soul and what that happened was we called on a lot of our like neighbors our, our family members extended family members to come and come in and like you know share words of wellness with my dad right to really um, talk to my dad and also talk to my dad's soul to like essentially welcome the soul and let the soul know that you know there are people that care for him right and so that was a really interesting way of like 
um, you know, having the community support someone that may be experiencing, um, you know, wellness in a, in a different way. Um, so yeah, that's uh, my experience from like, you know, having my first um, anxiety attack to where I am, where I'm trying to figure out how do I navigate these conversations within the home community. So do you infuse uh, a, a Western tradition as well within um, your own mental health journey? Or is it kind of, it, is it, what else does it look like? Um, I think I, I think for me, what I do is essentially bridging the two, right? Because I feel like those, they're the two concepts are there can, can be necessary fuse, but, um, create a pathway where both are able to travel in between the two ideas, right? Um, so that's what I try to do, you know, when I talk about mental wellness in like the Western context, I talk about like checking in system, right? Um, I focus more on around like the interpersonal relationship building as opposed to like the medications and whatnot. Um, I do believe that is a, a, a pathway that works for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of the pathway to work for my community, uh, medication is not necessarily the way to go. And so I focus more around like the interpersonal relationship um, because you know those are extremely prevalent in the home community Um, and so you know what I try to do is I talk about I think about like okay if I'm talking about wellness and check-in right what way does wellness and check-in already exist in my community and how can I bridge the two idea, right? How can I let my parents know that I'm doing a wellness check-in, right? Um, being intentional about it, but doing it in a way that they understand in their cultural context. Um, you know, I, I just recently started this with my friend, but like, I remember the only way that my parents knew how to do a check-in with us was consistently asking us like, have we eaten, right? Whether that's at the beginning of the day, two hours later after they just asked that question, or like in the middle of the night, um, they're always consistently asking us like, have we eaten, are we fed? And I believe that stems from the fact that that's the environment that they grew up in, right? The refugee camps being survivors of war, the only way to check in on someone is to make sure that they're fed, they have energy to continue moving forward, right? Um, and so I've been recently tapping into that idea with my friends, um, and I, you know, every t- every night when I call them, I often ask like, hey, have you eaten yet, right? And and I think they, they understand where that's coming from. It's like my form of check-in, um, for, and you know, what I do to make it clear is like, hey, I'm just calling to check in how you're doing, and then I immediately follow up, have you eaten yet? Um, so bridging the, the idea of like, have you eaten yet, but using it in the Western context of like checking in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I try to do in terms of like, how do I connect, you know, the Western idea of like wellness to like my cultural idea of wellness. And in terms of um, other forms of wellness for you, in terms of supporting your mental health journey, how are you able to support your friends um, within, you know, your your own understanding of mental health and wellness? Yeah, beyond I, that. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's really hard to be a it, It's really hard, right? Because I feel like um, each individual person has a specific needs, right? And it really takes time to build that trust and that relationship to be able to. Um, really understand what kind of support system they need um, and also being able to do in a healthy way that you're not affected right i think in the past i i have done like you know supports i have support people in a way that was definitely not healthy right um i have you know talked to people about like their issues and how you know how they're struggling with it and you know i could feel like that 
that secondary effect, right? Where like I felt like, oh crap, like I feel what you're feeling, and I don't know if this is necessarily how I genuinely feel, or if this is because I'm supporting you, um, and you know your experience and your you know your stories are like transferring, or like the effect of transferring, right? Um, and I think about like similar to how like my parents talk about their traumas and how that is being transferred to me in like the context of war stories, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's very important to understand. I think in order to help someone first, you really have to understand who you are and like how your emotions operate, right? Um, I think for me, if I if I am able to understand how my emotion operates, um, and I'm checking in with someone and I notice that there's a dramatic change after the check-ins, that's when I check in with myself. I'm like, okay, am I feeling this way because I talked to this person, or am I feeling this way because I genuinely feel this way? Um, and being able to differentiate, you know, your feelings and your feelings of empathy with someone. Because um, I think, you know, if you consistently support people and have that secondary effect, it could have a, a, you know, a negative effect on your own wellness. And so it really, um, I, I, take, I take time to take care of myself in order to take care of others. Um, yeah. So I continue to hear you use the word transference and talking about, you know, either it's either going to be a positive or a negative effect, depending on, you know, who an individual you talk to. Mm-hmm. But specifically, um, because you say you identify as Hmong, mm-hmm. like how do you think then services could be improved for people within the Hmong community as well? Yeah, I, I really do think that, you know, you can. So for me in the Hmong community, a lot of, um, one of the core, like, cultural infrastructure is bloodlines, right? Um, you know, you, we value our bloodline very highly, right? Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, our community has been experiencing a lot of like, well, at least from my own understanding, I feel like our community has been experiencing a lot of like um, death and persecutions. And so maintaining our cultural identity through bloodline is extremely important, right? I'm carrying the family name, you know, making sure that our family name exists beyond ourselves, right? And so I think if you're treating someone, you know, that's within that such tight-knit community, um, you really have to understand how, you know, your treatment of that individual affect their relationship with the rest of the bloodlines. Um, and bloodlines goes beyond just, you know, your immediate family, I think. Um, for us, um, you know, there's the 18 clans, right? Um, and the, you know, there's like the 18 clans and, you know, those are like the different 18 last names. And essentially, if you have the same last name as someone, you know, that means that they're within your bloodlines, right? They're within your relatives. Um, and so really understanding how that system works um, to really uh, treat not just one person, but their individual relationship with their extended bloodlines. Um, and I can talk a little bit about how the bloodline system works. It's yeah. that, um, you know, back in the back in the old day, as some people will call it, um, you know, there's 18 clans, and you know, the reason why bloodline becomes so important is that you know, a lot of the Hmong community at the time did not live together in like one big nation, right? We live in villages that are separate within like two to three days foot travels, right? And so, in order to get into one of um, in order to travel between villages, um, you really have to rely on your bloodline, right? Because imagine if you're a stranger going to a town, 
you know no one there, how do you survive within the next three to four days in that town, right? Um, and so that's where bloodline comes in, right? Because I think we value our bloodline so much that like if you, if I was, you know, let's say that you were coming to my town, right? And you know no one, but you have the same last name as me. You are within my bloodline. Um, you can always ask me for like a place to stay, food, right? Um, and at that time, you know, the way that that works in the back old days is that that's how you rely, that's how you survive is rely on your bloodlines um, you know when you're going to like a different town you can always ask people within your bloodlines like hey what's your last name you know my last name is this and I'm from this clan right if you are from this clan can you support me right what I'm here for the next three to four days as I'm making my way to like this other this you know destinations and so a lot of people use bloodlines as a support system um, to like take rest out to get food and shelter while they are on their journey to like this destination that they're going to um, and so going back to modern day um, thinking about how important bloodline is in terms of like treatment system right really looking into like um, how does one person's relationship with like the rest of the bloodline interact right um, how does their wellness also affect the wellness of their whole entire family but their extended family and the rest of their clan members um, so yeah, I think if you are able to really understand the important infrastructure of like bloodlines and clan members, um, you'll have a better, more effective treatment system developed for, you know, especially in someone that's in the Hmong community. So then now, how is your, um, your own cultural identity and the mental health journey infused with your larger work at the AEOP as partnership organizer? Yeah, so um, I think for me, um, my my cultural identity really plays a key role in like how I want to do mental health work, right? Because um, I think there's been a lot of like mental health work that talks about like medications and developing your support system. But for me, I want to flip that, right? I want to be like, how can we tap into the support system that has or that already exists, right? And how do we bring visibility to the support system and how do we build intentions around it, right? Um, you know, a lot of time our home community we we see the support system we use it but there isn't a lot of like understanding of the importance of it right I'm not saying that they don't know how important bloodline is but like how do we you know go beyond just like oh your bloodlines you're I'm gonna take care of you but like how do we go and beyond that to be like hey I noticed that this person is having this issues understanding like um, being able to do a check-in is like, hey, let's say that, you know, you, I've noticed that you're having a lot of, like, wellness issues, right? Um, being able to uh, go to um, check-in with, like, hey, are you okay? Like, what is your, you know, bloodline and how can I support you, right? And really understanding that, like, if your bloodline is within my bloodline, then yes, I can support you, right? But also going beyond that, right? Because I feel like right now people are only really supporting um, people within their bloodlines. Being able to essentially create some kind of form of communication that really utilizes the existing infrastructure. Um, I think one of the greatest things that we could do, especially within the Hmong community, is understanding that like, hey, if this person is from this bloodline, and I know of people that are within this bloodline, I can connect these two people, right? So using our connections to our bloodline as a, a network of resources, essentially to get people from one point to another point for support. Um, and I think that also ties to like the Western idea of like if you don't have the support system, if you cannot support this individual, where else can you lead them to, right? How I, you know, navigate my um, understanding of mental wellness and like uh, Western idea and then tr connecting it to my cultural identity and the work that I do is mm -hmm. really looking at like what is the idea in Western society? Um, 
but how do I implement it in a way that makes sense, right? Because I think idea can be very similar, concepts and idea can transfer within society very easily, but the implementation itself has to be very careful and has to be very intentional, right? Because the way that I implement about like medications in you know the, the Western society is very different from the way that I talk about medications in the uh, Eastern society, right? Medication itself, the idea of using um, natural or you know and a substance to cure is it's you know prevalence in both like both society but the way that we go about it right in the western society it's around like pills and like you know you know concentrated amounts right but a lot of the western societies how do we use natural herbs and whatnot right how do we use roots and natural herbs right? both ideas are still centered around like using medications to support but the way that you implement it is very different and so that what I do is I think about like the idea of mental wellness in Western society and how can I implement that you know with my understanding of my own culture um, and I'm always learning about like you know what you know it's uh, I'm also just learning like when to implement this and when is not a good idea to implement it and understanding what idea can transfer easily what idea doesn't um, and it's a it's an error in trial error in trial kind of thing where I'm still still learning how to navigate that conversation um, and so that's present within like the the work that I do in my organization is um, you know my role has shifted to something that's you know more focused on like coalitions and relationship buildings and so I think about like you know where is my understanding of wellness and where's my understanding of cultural understanding and cultural identities and how can I implement that in my relationship building with like coalitions and my relationship building with partners and um, you know it could just be relationship building with one-on-one -on -one individual right um, and so, yes, that's how I navigate between all three identities. And then just a little bit more, like just finally, um, I want to go back to just your phrase that you talked about, have mm. you eaten? So is this a phrase that you would just use amongst good friends or is it just kind of a check-in for anybody? I think it, it, it varies. Mm. Um, I think if, I, if it's a good friend, I generally use it right. Um, and that's because I have already built a relationship with this individual and I've, there is already this like mutual understanding like hey this is my way of checking in um, but if it's a stranger um, I look into like can they understand the context of this phrase right um, if I were to check in with my white friends if, if I just ask have you eaten out of the blue like that cause seems like I'm prying to like their schedule, their daily schedule, right? Mm -hmm. But if I ask if I ask that specific questions to like someone within my cultural community, um, they get their like implementation, this like context of like, oh yeah, this is like a check-in system, right? And so I think for and that question specifically it vary from person to person, um, depending on like um, you know our can they understand the cultural impl implications, right? Or if, you know, if this is or someone that I already have a built relationship with, then I think it's uh, easier to ask that question. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier before, you know, our conversation for the podcast, you said that you wanted to generally help other marginalized communities such as the Asian American and Pacific Island queer population. Can you mm -hmm. explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think, um, right, um, I'm also coming from like a idea of like intersectionality too, right? Understanding that, you know, we just don't have one identity, but like multitude of identities and how all of those interact with our, you know, daily experience differently, right? So I think about like, you know, if yeah, I think about like, how can I create opportunities or bring conversations to the uh, API queer communities, right? Um, thinking, understanding that it is already hard you know, to talk about these topics within just the, the general community. Um, and I think about like, you know, I feel like the marginalized community has an even bigger 
um, impact or you know mental health has an even bigger impact on them because you know they're not just you know having difficult talking about mental wellness but also understanding that mental wellness is connected to their identity right the queer identity as well and so understanding that you know some people may not have the luxury of being able to openly talk about their uh, queer identity in association to their mental health right um, and so I want to really open up the conversation around like how do we talk about mental health in like API queer communities um, and that's something that I'm still struggling to really find like a pathway to do that right um, recently I have done a workshop around like um, like uh, trans and queer issues within the Asian communities um, and this workshop was at like the moment the HMSA at the U of M um, where we had a workshop around like how do we build understand like uh, family dynamic power right um, understanding that you know like the majority of the power goes to like the head of the family which is generally is the dad right um, and then following by like the sons and daughters and so looking at like the sons and daughter and where their power dynamic is and what kind of you know power that they have right um, and how do they navigate those to have hard conversation around like uh, uh, queer identities um, with their parents and so I think the first step for me is to really unpack the concept of queer identities to the Hmong community and then unpack the, the implications of mental health within those identities. Um, I think for me, it's, it's, it still is really hard to talk about it, um, especially being someone that also identifies as queer too, right? Um, I feel like I, I can talk about mental health in like the context of like heterosexuality and heteronormative, right? Um, and that's like a very Western um, not necessarily Western, but like a very generalized approach to mental wellness, right? Um, and you know, then, then there's like the queer wellness system that's very different from the generalized mental wellness check-ins. And then you have that like more close and complicated system where it's like, how do we address mental health in queers of color, right? Not just Asian queers, but also like black queers and Latinx queers, right? Um, because all of those had different approaches right because you have the you have one aspect of like your queer identities but the other aspects like this cultural identity and those who may clash well but you know other times those who may not clash really well and so when you add this third layer of mental wellness it you're not only addressing mental wellness in your cultural identity but you're also addressing mental wellness in your queer identities you know especially within the Hmong community there there isn't language around like queers and gays and bi's and all of that and so you know, really, how do you even address something that doesn't have a language to address? Similarly, how do you address mental health that doesn't have a language? But I think what's easier about mental health is that there is system, there is health infrastructures that you can describe infrastructure that talks about mental health, right? Like, have you eaten yet? Or like, you know, the, the so-calling, right? All of that are infrastructures that exist to address mental wellness, but there isn't infrastructure or language that exists to address uh, queer identities. And so now just kind of bring everything back, how would you describe yourself now where you're at from, except from your beginning to course in Thailand, you know, to that first bout of anxiety attack you had in, you know, your junior yeah. year, you know, to now even, and then your intersectionality with the queer community, but where does it all tie in? Like, where are you at right now? <laughs> I, I think, so this is something that took me a long time to learn is that in terms of journey it's not linear right mm -hmm. everyone it's it's like 
it everyone has their own like path and their own they're going at their own pace um, and so it took me a really long time to really understand that because you know um, I, I receive like my friends going like different pace than me whether that's like faster or slower and I was confused I was like wait am I supposed to be like in the same point as they are in their life because we are like the same age we're the same generation they we are you know both you know 1.5 generation and so um, it took me a really long time to really understand that oh yes everyone has their own path and the way that they go and the speed that they go and within their own path is independent from each other um, so where I'm at now I think I have a better understanding of like traumas and um, mental wellness and I feel like I'm just more attuned to like my own identity and my own emotions right um, I, I definitely see that change thinking back from like you know being in a refugee camp where like the the idea of uh, you know, talking about emotions and talking about wellness was not even prevalent. It's all about making sure you can live to the next day, right? Um, and moving from that to the United States where it's like there there isn't such a huge like survival mode, but there is still that survival mode. Like how do we survive this system that we don't know anything about? How do we, as you know, as a family move forward, um, you know, dealing with taxes, dealing with, you know, um, bills and um, you know these like resources these papers that we have to fill out in order, in order to get access to resources and so that's a different kind of stress um, and you know moving from that to like in high school where I had like my anxiety attack and all of that and being just having this wave of like knowledge that's being crammed into me because I needed to know um, otherwise it was really hard for me to really unpack my identity um, I think um, I, I feel like my where I'm at now is I'm currently over like this bell curve point right um, I remember you know um, someone that was a mentor of mine was talking to me when I was going through all of that you know in high school she was like hey like uh, you know I want you to know that you are at like this tipping point right whether you let this like uh, this this you know this um, barrier there is a uh, hardship like changes you um, you know this is obviously going to change you but how you let it change you is going to be solely on your determination and so I think um, you know she was impl imp she was uh, um, there was implication where I like you know I'm at this tipping point where I could either you know let my mental health um, you know you know essentially affect me so much that it's hard for me to understand and see clearly or I could, you know, let this mental health affect me in a way that allows me to do advocacy works, right? And so I think I, I'm, I, gone past that like tipping point, um, to the point where I, you know, have a better understanding of who I am, how my mental health system works, um, what are my needs, and being able to be vocal about those things. Um, but also being able to have a clear understanding around trauma too, right? Because I think during my um, earlier years, by that I mean like within the past like four or five years ago, I yeah. was still, you know, I was very angry, I think, um, being diagnosed with, like, you know, anxiety, depression, um, and wasn't really understanding where that was coming from, right, and, and was just very angry at the, the world and angry at my parents for, like, you know, essentially having me in that environment, um, but now, you know, I have a better understanding that, you know, these were not, these were, you know, factors that were out of my control, but also were out of my parents' control, and, you know, when I talk about, um, mental health I you know the past four or five years when I talk about mental health I think I talk about it in a way that was that that was coming from a place of anger um, a place of like 
injustice and whatnot. And um, obviously, there still is like injustice in the world, but I think I have a more clear understanding of like how can I look my perspective, and also how can I look at the perspective of other, and understand that you know you know their mental health um, has. Uh, you know the histories of the mental health happens in that way and that's how it's connecting to mine right um, so now I, when I talk about mental health when I think about my parents mental health I think about like how they are you know uh, essentially victims of wars and that has impacted their mental health and the only way that they knew how to uh, talk about it was to go through these war stories with us right um, and I feel like that you know now at the time I didn't have that understanding but now I understand that you know that was their way to to warn us about like wars and uh, you know and like traumas right by giving us a story that we can you know remember um, and those stories you know they didn't know that those stories were going to have like implications on like my mental wellness but I think really understanding like when I talk about mental health I think about like what happens to my parents and how they are subject to like these factors that are their control um, and I think I just have a more empathetic um, understanding of mental health within my own experience but also when I see other people with experience of mental health I think about like what are these unknown factors that they may now may not have control over um, and how do I as someone who's like um, support them in a way that doesn't contribute to these factors so Zor, if, um, if our listeners just wanted to get in touch with you and know a little bit more about what you do at the Asian American Organizing Project, what could they do? Yeah, um, so I have a work email that folks can reach me at v-a-n-g-x-o-r at a-a-o-p-m-n dot org. Um, that's just my phone name, Vangsor, V-A-N-G-X-O-R, at A-A-O-P-M-N.org. Um, in addition to that, I'm also I'm pretty active on my Instagram as well. Um, that's X-O-R-R underscore X. Um, if folks want to reach out to me, I think um, my work email or my Instagram is probably the best option to reach out to me. And we will also have those in the show's liner notes. Zora, thank you so much. Cool, thank you so much for having me. For additional resources related to this episode, please check the podcast show notes and visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. You've been listening to Wellness in Color on the Mental Health in Minnesota podcast produced by NAMI Minnesota.